In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. That you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins. The grace to make this time of prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Psalm 21 makes reference to a coronation, a crowning. But it's a very positive one, the way coronations are supposed to be. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord, and in thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire and has not withheld the request of his lips. For you present him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of you and you gave it to him, even length of days forever and ever. The coronations are moments of honor, praise, glorification. In a certain sense, right? Coming into one's own, coming into the one, coming into the glory that one deserves. A blessing of goodness, a crown of pure gold over his head. And in the third sorrowful mystery, Lord, we see that you are crowned not with a crown of gold, and not in a coronation of honor and praise and glory and coming into what you deserve, but you are crowned with thorns, right? And it's a kind of a negative crowning, right? It's the opposite of what a coronation is supposed to be. Instead of praise and honor and glory, our Lord is reviled and mocked and scorned. Instead of being exalted, he's being humiliated, humbled, publicly humbled. And St. Matthew describes the coronation very briefly, but very graphically. And when we consider that this is happening to God, it's kind of scary, right? It's like, how can this happen to God, right? How can God do this? Or how can people do this to God? We read in the Gospel of Matthew. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe upon him. And plaiting a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat upon him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. An incredibly humiliating experience. And he's crowned with thorns. He's given a reed for his right hand as if the reed of a king, a scepter of a king. And then he's spit on, right, and and mocked, and they kneel before him in mock adoration. In the way St. Josemaria talks about humility, you're not humble when you humble yourself, but when you are humbled by others, 
and you bear it for Christ. You're not humble when you humble yourself, but when you are humbled by others and you bear it for Christ. That's interesting, isn't it? That it's kind of easy in a certain sense to humble ourselves because we just have to say, well, I'm not that great, right? Or, you know, I'm not that special. But when others humble us, right, when they attack us or say something bad about us or don't thank us or don't appreciate us, isn't that when we see how hard it is to be humble? Because we're like, whoa, I can say that about myself, but you can't say that, right? I can, you know, put myself down, but you can't put me down. Who do you think you are? And that, that reaction of anger is a natural one because it's to be insulted or to be uh, unappreciated. It can be an injustice. And so there's something natural about that, that we get angry when people don't appreciate us. But it's also connected to our pride, right? That, I, hey, I, you know, I can say that about me, but you can't say that about me. Well, why not? Right? If you can say it about you and it's true, then why can't someone else <laughs> say it about you? Is it false now? No, it's just that um, we're proud, right? We want to be appreciated by, by others. What a mystery. You know, if anyone has the right to be proud, it's God. If anyone deserves adoration and praise and honor and thanksgiving, it's God. Because he truly is number one this weekend as the final four. And eventually, you know, all the people who say we're number one, we're number one, some of them will actually be right. Right, because everyone's been saying it to now, right, with those big number one fingers. But there's 64 teams, and only one of them will actually be right. Actually, there's more like 67 teams now or something like that. They keep adding teams for money. Um, <laughs> uh, we're number one. We're number one. Well, the only one who's really number one is God. Right? He's the only one who's perfect. He's the only one who's uncaused. He's the only one who's all-powerful. And yet God, it's crazy, right? He lets himself be humbled. He lets himself be insulted. He lets himself be unappreciated. And Lord, what does that tell us about you, what's going on in your heart? Well, we see in our Lord Jesus Christ a great purity of intention. These things happen to him, and it doesn't throw him off. He doesn't get mad. A great purity and rectitude of intention He knows what he's about. He knows who he is, and he knows what he's doing, and he knows why he's doing it. And therefore, he really doesn't care what other people think about him. He's detached from the opinions of these men, from the opinions of others. He's not concerned with winning their good favor. He's not about defending himself or his reputation. He knows who he is. He knows what his mission is. He knows what he's about. And he's going to do it, right? No matter what anyone says or does to him. And that's important for us, Lord, that why do I do the things that I do? What am I after, Lord? Is it selfishness? Is it just to get things over with so I can get to the thing that I like more? (laughs) Is it to make myself feel a little bit better that I'm not wasting time? Why do I do the things that I do? And the saints teach us that 
the best reason is love. And the best reason for doing anything is to give glory to God, right? to praise God, to thank God. Deo omnis gloria in Latin. St. Josemaria loved that aspiration. Deo omnis gloria. All the glory to God. And he preached in a meditation. He said, Deo omnis gloria, all glory to God. It is an emphatic confession of our own nothingness. He, Jesus, is everything. We without him are worth, worth nothing. Nothing. Our vain glory would be just that, vain glory. It would be sacrilegious robbery. There should be no room for that I anywhere. What does that mean? It means, well, even ourselves, right? What you are, what I am, right? Most, What's most proper to me? My thoughts, my feelings, my will, right? even my choices. Well, they all come from God, right? And so they all reflect God's goodness. I don't have any goodness that's mine without God. And so if I were to say, hey, look how great I am, you know, I got a, a 1560 on the SAT and I got into Cornell and, you know, I'm going to be a doctor and people like me. Look how awesome I am. Well, it's like St. Rosemary says, it's sacrilegious robbery, right? You're from God. St. Paul says it. St. Paul, who was pretty, pretty good in terms of the world. He was smart. He was educated. He was successful. He was influential. St. Paul says, what do you have that you have not received? And if you received it, then why do you boast as if it were not a gift? So even our goodness, even the things we could kind of naturally be proud of. Not everyone got a 1560, right? <laughs> not everyone, whatever is varsity, softball or whatever your thing is. Yeah, that's good, right? And you should be happy for it. And in a certain sense, proud of it because you contributed to it with your own effort. But it's all from God. And so therefore, when we enjoy it and glory in it, we give glory to God. We give the thanks to God. We give praise to God. Deo omnis gloria. We do it for love of God. We enjoy it for the love of God. To help others. St. Ignatius of Loyola, right? Ad maiorum Dei Gloriam. All for the greater glory of God. And how do I know, Lord, if I'm doing things with purity of intention? How do I know if I'm doing things for love of you? Well, there's certain indications, right? Um, one of them is just how sensitive we are, right? Am I, how, how hurt am I when people don't thank me for something I've done? Or do I do things that are good even when I know no one's going to notice? Right? Or do I only do things that are good because I know that, well, at least someone's going to appreciate this or someone's going to know that I did it? Am I humiliated or is my pride pricked when people don't take me to account or when some certain people perhaps forget about me or don't invite me to something or... Don't ask my opinion. How dependent, Lord, is my mood on how things come off in public, right? How successful I am. If something goes wrong, does it throw me off for like five days? Oh, how could that happen? And all these are indications that 
we need to grow, and they're totally normal, don't worry, <laughs> that we need to grow in, um, in purity of intention and in humility. Lord, am I happy only when things are going well for me? Am I overly depressed when something doesn't go as well as I wanted it to? Am I overly anxious, Lord, about my appearance or my reputation? And all of these are signs that we need to rectify our intention and be a little bit tougher, right? Say, ah, oh, it doesn't, you know, as long as I'm pleasing God, as long as God is happy with me, who cares, right? That means I'll go to heaven and be happy forever, 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 forever. And all the saints will say, hey, you're great, right? And not just some stupid people on the internet who we don't know. They say, um, <laughs> there was this poll about people's fears. And the number one most common fear was fear of public speaking. Right, which is um, understandable. Because, you know, when you speak in public... Um, you're worried about like what other people think about you. And what other people think about you is a very deep thing, right? Because it's a natural thing that we live in society and we don't want to be like outcasts or um, you know, not liked by others. And so naturally, it's a, very, it's a very common fear that we love and worry about our reputation. And so to make a fool of yourself in public is something that people are like really naturally afraid of. And it's striking, right? One comedian said, um, he said, you know, it's interesting, the fear of public speaking was above even the fear of death, right? As the greatest and most common fear, which means that people would rather be in the coffin at a funeral than giving the eulogy, right? For the person, <laughs> for the person who's dead, you know? And, um, this is period of intention, right? If I'm trying my best for God, if I'm trying to serve others, well, I put the results in God's hands. We have to have that kind of sense, like, and it's very freeing. Who cares, right? Who cares what happens to me? And if we think about our Lord Jesus, who's our model, right, to love us, he lets himself be humiliated. He lets himself look bad, real bad. He's on the cross, and, and people think, he must be a criminal. What did he do to deserve that? In a certain sense, it's good if we look bad. At least, I mean, don't be stupid. <laughs> don't go around trying to look bad on purpose. Um, but it's okay, right? It's okay. Because that's how we grow in humility, and that's how we grow in purity of intention. That's how we offer to God what happened to him, right? He was rejected, he was insulted, he was unappreciated. And so when that happens to us, we can say, okay, God, I offer this to you. I pay you back in a certain sense for what you've done for me. You accepted this for me. I can accept this for you. So Lord, help me to be tougher like you. You know what you're about. You know you're redeeming them. You know you're loving them. And so you don't care what they think about you. Don't we need to be affirmed, though? You might say, Father John, um, you know, it's not very nice to, to be humiliated or to think that I'm bad, to be insulted, right? All these are negative things. 
And the answer is yes, we do need to be affirmed. Yes, we do need to know that we're loved. Yes, we do need to know that we're good. But from what source, right? From ourselves or others? No, we need to know that God loves us. Because only God is the truth, right? We can always fool ourselves and others don't, you know, who knows what their judgment of us is based on? Who knows how objective it is? And Jesus, who lets himself be, right, unappreciated by others, mocked by others, is actually affirmed and complimented by God the Father. When Jesus is baptized, right, a voice comes from heaven. What an incredible moment, right? God the Father speaking so people can hear it. It never happens. And what does God the Father say? He speaks three times in the, in the New Testament. And two out of those three times, one is at the baptism and the other is at the transfiguration. Those two times, he says basically the same thing. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's at the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The transfiguration. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so even though Jesus uh, accepts the fact that some people don't like him and that they're humiliating him, he knows he's affirmed by God. He knows he's pleasing to God the Father. He knows that God the Father loves him and is pleased with him, with how he's acting and what he's doing. And so do we need to be affirmed? Absolutely. But you are affirmed. Right? Jesus says, Jesus says, uh, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And so just as the Father looks at him and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, Jesus looks at us and says, you're my beloved sister, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved brother with whom I am well pleased, right? God is happy with you. God appreciates you. God affirms you. This is our divine affiliation. Jesus says it very clearly in the, in the Gospel of John at the Last Supper. It's an amazing passage. We could pray about it for our whole life. There was a saint, uh, what was her name? St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, who said that John chapter 17 could be the, the basis for our mental prayer, our whole life. Right? It's an amazing chapter. And one of the things we find there in John chapter 17 is this. Jesus talking to his apostles. Lord, you're talking to your apostles at the Last Supper, those last few hours before your passion, trying to get across these important truths. Kind of a final class. And our Lord says this, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so the affirmation, right, the validation that Jesus gets from the Father, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, which lets him not care as much, right, if at all, (laughs) about what other people think, is also ours. That God the Father loves you and me with the same love with which he loves Jesus Christ. And that's crazy, right? That's the love of, that is God. That's the love of the Holy Spirit. That's an infinite love. God loves you infinitely. Oh, righteous Father. And so the Holy Spirit knows that we're like, you know, we're doubting Thomas's. So people say, well, he only said it once in scripture. So maybe it was a mistake or whatever. And so like three lines later, uh, John is inspired by the Holy Spirit to say it again, right? To make sure that we like, oh yeah, maybe he actually means it. Oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And knowing that, right, gives us a certain confidence, courage, right, to be brave, to give a good example to people, not to worry so much, right, about what people think or how they're going to react. Not to put too much value in how things come off publicly because we know that God loves us and as long as we're trying to do God's will, as long as we're trying to be good children, Lord, as long as we're trying to imitate you, we're going to be perfectly fine, perfectly fine. Nothing will happen to us that we can't handle if we don't sin, if we just trust God and keep trying to do his will. And even if we sin, no big deal, right? We go, to, we go to confession, we make an act of contrition, and we start over. This is the amazing thing about being a Christian, is that God is truly on our side, and God doesn't lose battles. God's infinite love and infinite mercy. And so there's no, there's no problem that we can't handle. St. Rosemary used to say that in Spanish. She would say, no pasa nada, right? which means... Nothing matters, right? It doesn't matter. Nothing has happened. No pasa nada. Y si pasa, que pasa? And if something happened, it wasn't a big deal. What happened? It's like, okay. It's like you can't handle it with God. God's not going to help you with it. Of course he is. He's your father. He's all powerful. But these are things that, you know, we have to grow in. We have to bring... We all have natural anxieties. We have natural worries. We all have things that we're afraid of. We all have things that we're struggling with. And so how do we get to the point where we could say, ah, it doesn't matter. God loves me. Well, we have to work on it. We have to bring it to our prayer. We have to, we have to practice being brave. We have to practice accepting things that are difficult. And with God's help, we'll work at it and we get better at it and we get more confident and much more peaceful and more focused, right, on, okay, you know, what really matters all right, I might be humiliated. I might not like that. This might go bad. You know, I might cry. I might get a panic attack. You know, who knows? I, you know, uh, I might get thrown in in jail. You know, who knows what's gonna Who knows what's gonna happen to you in your life in this world if you live as a Christian? And is it gonna be easy? No, but but God will help you live through it. 
right? And when you live through it, you get stronger and stronger and stronger and more loving and less afraid. But you have to, you have to go through it. Um, and you can. That's the whole point, right? That Jesus goes through it and God helps him and he'll help us do the same. And in the end, right, uh, we'll be crowned. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. And so Jesus goes through the humiliation of the passion. He goes through the humiliation of the crowning of thorns, as we're considering. And what does he get for it? Well, glory, right? Praise, honor, happiness, victory. In the end, he wins. And in the end, we too will win, right? Heaven. And so, Lord, help us to focus, to realize that your opinion is the most important, to purify our intention, and to be, and to be brave, right? To have courage. Now, Jesus talks about this, and we're going to need courage, right? I mean, to, these days you need courage just to believe in, like, common sense, right? <laughs> Holy cow. It's like, uh, anyway, I won't, I won't use any triggering examples. But if you believe in something like family or marriage, right, it takes courage because... Well, anyway, you know why. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <gasps> um, see, I'm not, see, I'm not even courageous enough to say it. You see how wimpy I am? I'm like giving my own counterexample to this meditation, you know? If you believe in I, okay. And Jesus talks about this, right? We're going to have to have courage to tell the truth and courage to um, not be afraid of... Uh, professing him. He called to him the multitude with his disciples and said to them, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Right? Whoever is ashamed of me and who isn't brave enough to stand up for me and for my, my teaching, my truth, well, I'm going to be ashamed of you, right? That we have to be brave as Christians if we're going to receive our reward, if we're going to be loyal to Christ. And so, Lord, in this age in which there's so much confusion about the truth of marriage and the truth of gender and the truth of common sense <laughs> and the truth of you name it, right? We, we need a certain courage, right? Not to be ashamed of God, not to be ashamed of Christ. And so we ask our Lord for it. And to realize that the truth helps people. It's not a matter of hurting people. It's not a matter, matter of judging people. Unfair, unfairly. It's trying to help them with the truth, right? What God, um, what God teaches and what God has created is the true and it is the good for people. 
And so even though, you know, they might not like to hear it, it's not that we're hurting anyone by sharing the truth with them right? in, a, in a compassionate way and, and a respectful way, of course. We go to Our Lady. Our Lady also was very humble. She said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, right? Behold, the Lord's servant. And she says that the Lord has looked upon her lowliness and found favor with her. So we go to her, Our Lady, Our Mother, help us with this virtue of humility, which helps us to love others and God because it helps us to love ourselves less selfishly and help us also to keep in mind that God's opinion is the one that matters the most and God loves us. He thinks the world of us. As the Father has loved Jesus, so Jesus loves us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.